This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. To mark next week's Women for Election Forum at ANU, Democracy Sausage turns its attention to women in politics. From the low level of trust women feel in government to the role of quotas and from the treatment of Julia Gillard to how the Westminster system encourages adversarial politics. Our experts tell us the challenges for women in politics and how we go about fixing them. Welcome to Democracy Sausage. I'm Mark Kenny, and this week we have a special episode of The Sausage focusing on a structural problem in our democracy that simply will not go away, that of the under-representation of women in our politics. And by politics, I mean our political parties, our parliaments, and of course, our governments. Scott Morrison, as we know, has retained seven cabinet posts for women. That is Maurice Payne, Susan Lee, Bridget McKenzie, Michaelia Cash, Karen Andrews, Linda Reynolds, and Anne Rustin. All household names, I'm sure. Um, but that's a lot better. I mean, it's not uh, not anywhere near 50%, but it's a lot better than uh, the case not so long ago when we know that we had just one woman in a cabinet of 19, that being Julie Bishop in uh, Tony Abbott's first cabinet. So you might say there's progress there, but there are many structural barriers. Um, Next week, here at the Australian National University at the Crawford School of Public Policy, uh, there is going to be a, what's called a Women for Election Equip at Crawford on the 26th of November, uh, and that's for women candidates and those who want to take part in a political campaign. And if you'd like to register for that, you can do so at bit.ly forward slash equip ANU. So go to that web address and, uh, and by all means get involved. Now, um, to talk about all of the issues that we ha- have around this uh, around this question, we have an excellent panel, a very very accomplished panel here of of experts. Virginia Hausiger, of course, is a household name. She's the ACT Australian of the Year in 2019. She's also the director of the 5050 by 2030 uh, Gender Equality um, Institute at the University of Canberra. She also happens to be my wife, um, and uh, she's joining us. Virginia, great to have you here. Well, hello, Mark. Fancy that. And by the way, it's not an institute, it's a foundation. It's the 5050 by 2030 <laughs> Foundation at the Institute for Governance and Policy Analysis at the University of Canberra. Yes. Just sort of <laughs> no, correct no, no, you that's, before that's, we start. No, accuracy is important. I'm, uh, I'm fully down It's the with journalist that. in me. I can't I stand, help it. <laughs> no, I stand corrected. Uh, Megan Fitzharris is a former ACT parliamentarian, former minister in the in the Labor government here. She's now proudly ensconced at ANU as a senior fellow. Megan, great to have you here and to have your first-hand experience. Thank you. It's great to be here. And Blair Williams is a PhD candidate at ANU. She's uh, well known as a publisher on matters of gender and politics and representation, and that uh, happens to be her area of um, of study as well. Blair, really good to see you here too. Yeah, good, good to see you too. Now, where are we with uh, with the situation? Let's let's get a sort of an overview, I guess, of um, of of politics, women democracy, how it's all playing out. Because we, we talk a lot about democracy in Australia. Um, of course, we do broadly in the West talk a lot about democracy. But um, in, that, in that process, one of the things that I think is underdone as an idea is the idea of a, of a, um, a properly representative democracy. You know, mm-hmm. we have a House of Representatives, but it doesn't have 50% women. We have, a, we have political parties that struggle to get anywhere near that. Labor's obviously been making bigger strides in that than, than because of its quotas than, than say, the Conservative parties. Uh, but uh, where do you think we're at at the moment, Virginia, in terms of the overall push for equality and therefore for um, <clears throat> proper representation in our democracy? 
Well, uh, two things that we could look at here. One is the, the numbers, as in representation, but of course it's not all about numbers, it's about the story behind the numbers. The other thing that's worth touching on is the issue of trust. And some excellent work has been done in Australia from Democracy 2025 by Professor Mark Evans looking <coughs> at trust in democracy. And it's quite disturbing to see that Australian women have not only a, a low level of trust in media, but a very low level of trust in government. And when we look at the global rates from the Edelman survey uh, of last year, the Australian average for women's trust in government is lower than the global average. So there's something going on in Australia. And we only need to look, I think, at uh, last year, 2018, which was a massive year for women in politics. It was almost a bonanza year. You could barely open up a newspaper or look at a news feed without mm. out a story about the treatment or representation of women in politics. But unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons, because we were hearing story after story about uh, bullying, sexual harassment, poor behaviour, and also the low number of women in politics on 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 both sides. I've got to say, but particularly in the government side, the coalition. So it got so bad at one stage that that there was general reference from the public about the coalition, the government's women problem. Now, what was really interesting was that at the time, we had overall uh, 32% of our federal parliament uh, were seats held by women. Despite all the talk, um, when we got to the 2019 election and so much talk about the representation of women, interestingly, for the House of Representatives, so-called House of Representatives, the number of women actually declined uh, in both parties, in the Labor Party and in the Liberal Party. And there was an actual decline. And so our, our House of Representatives, which is a ridiculous name, really, uh, at the moment has 30.5% of their seats held by women. So we don't have a, a representative democracy in that regard. Yeah, it's a really good point. Blair, where, where do you uh, – what, what's, your, what's your response to those numbers? Yeah, generally, like, there was a decrease um, in women, uh, though there were, you know, some new women um, MPs from both the Liberal and Labour Party who got elected, but it still didn't, you know, um, make up the difference, essentially. I mean – the 30% number that you mentioned is largely due to parties like the Liberal Party, the National Party, and some of those more conservative or right-leaning uh, minor parties, whereas the Labour Party have, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know they, ha they have a gender quota. So they tried to have at least, uh, I think, 45% um, you know, of women in uh, electable seats um, and in Parliament, um, whereas the Liberal Party have uh, you know, around 20 Twenty-five percent of that, um, although it varies depending on what happens, um, mm. and, you know, and who no who official quota or... as such, though, which <clears throat> yeah, was the big issue last year. Yeah, they have no quota, and they've you know Labor has had a quota since nineteen ninety four, and it really was effective. Um, you know, you saw the number of women uh, MPs obviously skyrocket because mm. of that quota, whereas the Liberal, Liberal Party think that they don't need a quota. You know, that women will get there in their own merit, and they don't need any help from mm. uh, you know things like quotas or other um, uh, things that can be put in place. To to support women to enter those roles. So I think that low percent is really largely due to the, the Liberal and, and National Party. And um, I mean, I guess it opens up again that conversation about do we need gender quotas for all parties? Mm. Can I just throw in too, Mark, if we look at where Australia sits on the global scale, we have continued to fall down every year for the last decade and a half. And if we look at the World Economic Forums, the Global Gender Gap Index, for example, Australia sits at 35 in the world, which is appalling. Um, but when it comes to political participation, we sit at 49, which is shocking. Now, if you look at the IPU, the Inter uh, International <laughs> Parliamentary Union uh, table, we sit around 50-51 in the world for the numbers of women in our parliament. So, you know, Australia, given the fact that we have such strong education, we have more educated females than males, we have had for the past two and a half decades, and, and we are a wealthy, privileged uh, in uh, society, to, to see that women just aren't breaking through and that we sit so poorly on the international scales is just extraordinary. Megan Fitaris, is it time that we actually sort of reframed this problem and actually really looked at it in terms of democracy? That is that it, this is not a functioning democracy if you have a significant section of the community that is <laughs> underrepresented. 
And this is what these numbers show. I mean, your party, the ALP, uh, to be fair, has made significant strides in this and had Labor won the election with anything like a decent majority, uh, the projections were that it was going to be at least 50% female uh, in terms of its uh, federal parliamentary <coughs> representation. So that, that would have been uh, quite significant, but of course, that's it not would, the way it That's went. not the way it happened. Uh, can I say there is a, a shining light, and that is the ACT parliament? Yeah. Yes, uh, so yes. true. Uh, which so does proud. have um, uh, a majority of women in the parliament. 52%. Uh, yeah. As well as um, across both major parties. So uh, uh, the Greens Party has uh, two members. They have uh, one man and one woman, but both the Labor and I think quite Importantly, the Liberal Party also has a majority of women. Um, the ACT Parliament has had three chief ministers that are women. Uh, we currently have uh, three women in, in cabinet, uh, four women and three women in cabinet. Uh, with my departure, that did um, <coughs> um, that did remain even. We have a female speaker. Uh, it's a relatively had, small cabinet. Too, it is, it? Yeah. yeah, that's what's, right. What's the number? Yeah, eight, eight, eight yeah. members of cabinet. So, uh, but in terms of the states and territories as well, I think um, Virginia, you will know these figures, and perhaps Blair too. The states and state <coughs> and territory parliaments are doing better than the federal parliament. Oh, oh, we have Adelaide. Mm, I'm mm, from South Australia, yeah, and we've yep. never had a woman premier. No, but in terms of representation, <laughs> so uh, it, it varies. I mean, Tasmania and the ACT mm-hmm. are doing really, really well, and you know, t- and, and both those uh, state and territory need to be applauded for that. But um, it varies. It, you know, some states are doing better. It's interesting that, as Mark points out, the smaller houses, the smaller states mm. and territories, and the smaller houses. The ACT, for example, has what twenty one members, twenty five, twenty five yeah. members. Yeah. The smaller ones do better. Yeah. Um, but when we get up to what is the most important? Which which is our federal yeah. parliament, our national parliament. Yeah. We just can't crack that 30%. Yes, there's certainly a view amongst some of the MPs that mm-hmm. I talk to and and people close to the political process that women make, as a, as a, as a general rule, mm-hmm. better representatives, mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. are uh, very good at, um, at, at sort of being mm-hmm. connected to their constituencies and they carry forward those, uh, those cases of constituencies that need help. Mm-hmm. Not you know, invariably, of course, but as a cohort. Mm. And perhaps that's also a function of those smaller jurisdictions where where MPs tend to be closer to their communities, mm. the smaller electorates, and there tends to be uh, less kind of, you know, the whole relationship is, let's say, less removed mm. or less haughty. Yeah. And you can generally, I mean, certainly in the ACT, you can go home every night. Um, I think mm. my starting point is that politics needs to work better uh, for everyone and particularly for women and women in politics can make politics better. So that's my starting point. Um, there are many things that are great about being a woman in politics. They're not often spoken about, uh, but certainly those connections with constituents uh, is one of them. What, what, uh, and that can be very powerful. That can be a very powerful uh, constituency to bring in with you into conversations in, in caucus rooms and in cabinets uh, and amongst ministers, uh, and particularly important when it gets to executive decision-making about the perspective that you can bring and if you've done your constituency work and you've worked with groups in the community and you've worked with women and understand their challenges uh, and and you're confident in that, that can bring enormous power to policy discussion and that's why women need to be in parliament. Uh, but I think we could also shine a light on some of the things that are great about being a woman in politics because there's often a lot about, uh, you know, the women's um, – negative experiences in politics, which um, which exist um, and are brought to light um, uh, far too often uh, because they're happening far too often. And what would you say some of those are, those, those, mm. those upsides of women well, in politics? I mean, I think politics? certainly in terms of the uh, Labor Party's approach to uh, quota and affirmative action, um, that was something that was very hard fought, hard fought for and continues to be hard fought for. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, avenues in the Labor Party that you can pursue um, your sort of journey through the Labor Party, either as a party member and in, and in party discussions. There are supportive forums and women's networks, Emily's List, are very mm. supportive forums for, for women in the Labor Party. Uh, I think my experience and certainly some other women that I've spoken to, your the, the work that you do on the ground with your constituents, connecting with people in the community is something that women do do very, very well. Um, it's very... Um, empowering, I think, and it's very persuasive in the policy debate. Is that because women work differently? Are they more, more sort of collaborative in their approach? Uh, tend to be more cooperative, less less inclined towards kind of confrontation as a as a tool of the you know a, a, a readily sort of chosen tool of the trade. 
Um, I, I think so, and I think women are also very supportive of one another, and that is an enormous uh, boost to you. To you e- even you across parties to some extent. Yeah, even yeah. across parties. To, yeah. I, I've got to jump in there and say I think we have to be really careful about essentialising women in yes. this way. Yeah. Um, yes. I feel yep. very uncomfortable with that. Mm. Uh, look, I, I think what we're talking about more are, are, are stereotypes. Mm. Um, ca- there are the characteristics of being empathetic, mm. uh, working well with constituents are, are not genetic to females, yeah. but mm. there has, you know, there's a lot of socialisation mm. and cultural mm. background that goes into this. But generally speaking, certainly as a journalist over 30 mm. years, generally speaking, something I have <laughs> observed is that, as Megan mm. says, women uh, cross parties do work well together in a way I've never experienced mm. men uh, do. And in fact, we've seen there's some, been some wonderful mm. examples in Australia mm. of uh, women coming across part, uh, cross mm. the line of, mm. of, of all the major parties to work on some really difficult legislation. I think the RU4861 was a really good oh. example. Mm. Um, we had a, a Liberal, we had a Democrat, we had a Labor, yeah. and I think we had a, a Greens, or it might have been an Independent, all come together and, and push through what was fairly radical reform mm-hmm. around um, access determinations. So it has happened, mm-hmm. but I think you know, coming back to the point, do women behave differently or 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 bring you know better uh, better morality to to politics? <laughs> I, I think perhaps it whilst men can be just as moral and just as, as wonderful um, as, as women, I think perhaps we need to focus more on the fact that bringing women in increases the diversity pool and the the, the, the variation in method and mode of, of communication with constituents, for yeah, example, and, and, and behaviour and legislative um, process. It's expanding your bandwidth yeah. in, 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 in the political discussion, well, I think. Well, I mean, yeah. what I was talking about before, and I, I accept that point you're making, I mean, it is clearly there are some generalisations being made there and I can understand why one would want to be a bit careful about, you know, taking them too literally, applying them too, too uh, um, I, I suppose, directly. But um, certainly some of the political hardheads I've spoken to in, in both parties uh, acknowledge that in marginal seats, a really good female candidate gives you a very good chance of winning because... They do, you know. Obviously, the the the, uh, the condition there, the precondition, is that you're talking about a high quality candidate. Yeah, but, when, but, well, but the thing is, women have electoral appeal. When when now, we I, think I, I, like that, though, it's dangerous because mm. women are then drawn in. Now, I think Emma Husa is a good example of a woman who was used in a seat to win an an election, an important seat. She did. Terrifically, and then according to her, she was dumped like a hot cake. And now I know that's hard, Megan, for you to hear because she was no. the same party as you, but she ended up having a shocking time in parliament. She was slut shamed in a way I've never mm. seen before, uh, ended up in tears and quit. And, and she says she was, the, from the moment she won that seat, she was ignored by the party. So, you know, when we talk about it's women. It's a separate issue. I completely agree yeah. with what you're saying. Yeah, well, it is a it's, 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 well, I, I mean, think we, we need to be careful. I mean, it places women to a binary where they're uh, expected to fulfill these stereotypes of being, uh, you know, good, compassionate, empathetic, you know, all those stereotypical uh, feminine, feminine sure, kind of but qualities. It is the job. Yeah, it is the job. But if we put women into that binary, then if they don't uh, fulfill that, then they, they're full, you know. We have these harsher expectations for women. They have to be uh, more... Um, you know, they have to be essentially better politicians than men. Um, they have to, you know, uh, fulfill these kinds of things that men aren't expected to. And if, if they don't do that, then, you know, the media drops them, the party drops them, you know, they're just seen as being bad women, essentially. A couple of points on that. I think Jacinda Arden has a quote, which I, I, I won't be accurate in this, but she says you can, she challenges the notion that you can't be compassionate and serious mm. and firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, maybe someone can get that exact quote, but I think that's right. I mean, I agree with you about not essentializing women, um, but I, in my experience, there are a lot of women who bring this to, 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 um, any profession. Um, and there are some women who don't, uh, but the, the, but you can be both, I guess, is my second point mm. that you, um, to be, to bring those things in with you doesn't then mean that you have a deficit in mm. another area. And I think Jacinda Ardern's quote is very powerful that you can bring both of these things to, to politics because politics becomes a, it's not necessarily women in politics that's a binary. Politics 
is also can be binary. You're either mm. a kind mm. politician or you're the firm mm. leading politician. And those things can be combined in men and women. Mm. Women just happen to sit on one side of, I think, for, for all of the, the cultural and historical and biases, um, sit on the kind of compassionate side and men sit on the other. The Where you can have both together is powerful for politics in general uh, and not just for uh, not just for women or, or, or men, I think it's mm. the it's the sort of the 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 plotting a graph of the views of politicians and the views mm. of men and women together <laughs> is interesting because politics isn't working well, uh, and it's especially not working well for women. I, I absolutely agree with all of that. The problem, I think, is that Jacinda Ardern is only one example, and no wonder around the world <laughs> people are fascinated by her and she is applauded everywhere she goes. Uh, look, being the cynical mm. journalist that I am, mm. I can only um, hope that that her her star continues mm. to rise. Mm. But I suspect mm. that the the tables will turn, the time will come when suddenly she's the wicked witch. Uh, well, it will like, happen. Yeah. I feel like in New Zealand it's a lot less harsh than we have here in Australia. Um, you know, I've done research on Helen Clark and and um, Jenny Shipley from you know, the women prime ministers from the 90s and the media, I mean, though it's from the 90s, it just is completely different to mm. the media in Australia yeah. and the media you know, very much determines, I guess, um, the the conversation of the day and, and how, you know, the public, I guess, uh, views these women, you know, it kind of influence that. So it depends, it remains to be seen, I guess, how they treat Jacinda Ardern. I don't think they're as toxic as the Australian media. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's very much that, uh, I think it goes back to that Anne Summers thing of, God, uh, you know, was it damned whores and God police? Mm. So if you don't, if you're not the God's police and you're a damned whore and, and you get treated as, uh, you know, as such as, you know, be- betraying that kind of compassionate stereotype that women must fulfill. But having said that, I think Jacinda Ardern is a fantastic uh, example or demonstration of how women don't have to adhere to these masculine mm. stereotypes in politics, that we can find strength in femininity and that leadership, uh, if, if we you know, t- uh, take leadership with this kind of um, empathetic and compassionate and, and that way of doing things, and it's equally as strong, if not more strong. You know, um, look at the response from uh, the way she... Um, Reacted to the Churchill massacre at the start of the, um, start of this Church year. Christ, Church yeah. Christ, sorry, <laughs> at the start of this year, and you know the world was amazed with how she responded because it's this different way of leadership that she enacted, rather than continuing, I guess, the norms of the more stereotypically masculine styles of leadership. Mm. It was outstanding. The Christchurch response, I think, really will capture the world's imagination and it was seen to be uh, extraordinary. No politician had behaved quite like that under those circumstances. But look, I, I think you're right, um, Blair, it's, the, the Australian media is really, really tough and yeah. very binary when it comes to men and women. And in fact, it's very sexist media. Um, and uh, increasingly. High concentration of ownership. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. And increasingly, research is showing that the, the public think our media is very sexist. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a, a major problem. But if we just flick over to the UK for a moment, what is going on there in the lead up to the election? It's, it's very disheartening to, to learn just a week or so ago that a total of 18 uh, sitting MPs, female MPs, have declared that they won't run uh, and they won't um, put themselves forward for election anymore because simply, and they've all said this, simply because they're so disgusted at the way they are treated by, not just in parliament, but also by by constituents, by the electorate. The sexism, the the brutal behaviour, even violent behaviour is mm. extraordinary. And they've, they've actually started detailing it and it really is shocking stuff. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that you raise that, Virginia, because uh, Beck Clark has uh, contacted us via Facebook and, of course, on uh, Democracy Sausage. We do enjoy your feedback and your contributions, and you can talk to us on Twitter at Apps Policy Forum. Facebook group is Policy Forum Pod, and the email is podcast at policyforum.net. Now, Beck uh, Clark has asked us a question which is very close to what you were just talking about, Virginia. She says, abuse of members of parliament in the UK is increasing with 18 female MPs standing down at the upcoming election. Do you think politics is a toxic environment for women in Australia and what should be done about that? Yes. They <laughs> <laughs> says yes. Yeah, um, I agree. I, is I that because is. politics is a contact, you know, like it's a, it's, a, it's a necessarily sort of competitive, combative business? It doesn't have I to mean, be inherently so, but the Westminster democracy kind of fosters that. But do – look, I, I guess what I'm interested in here, uh, sort of uh, building on Beck's question there is, 
is our frame of reference here the treatment of Julia Gillard? And if it is, if that is the sort of um, in the low watermark, and I agree it was a particularly unattractive, uh, unpleasant uh, period, but uh, the, the, you know, Gillard's circumstances were quite unique. I mean, she, in, you know, she took the leadership from a prime minister who was still popular. There had been very little preparation of the electorate in terms of how that was going to the, – the, the fact that was going to happen at all took most of the press gallery by surprise, surprise let alone the, 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 the voting public. And the legitimacy question that then hung over her government for the entire time, there was an election shortly after which she failed to secure a majority, you know, no thanks to a few very strategic leaks during the <laughs> campaign, but nonetheless. And yes, she was then subject to a, a gathering um, uh, campaign by a lot of media and by a lot of right-wing forces and by forces inside the Labor Party to tear her down. So yes, it was an, inc an incredibly un unattractive and uh, I think um, uh, you know a period of politics in Australia that none of us can be particularly proud of. But does that is that our frame of reference for the treatment of women in leadership? I don't think so. I, I think it goes well beyond that, mm. actually. I, I think, um, and, and we're hearing this from the UK as well, it's the manner, as, as Blair has indicated, you know, the, the manner of, of the parliament itself and politics itself. Um, in the UK, one of the, the women who actually is the founder of the Women's Equality Party, I thought it was very interesting when she recently was quoted as saying that... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, the, the divisive and vitriolic nature of the language used in Parliament uh, is is part of the problem. It fuels this 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 nastiness and this hatred. And she went on to say, that when leaders normalise the language of misogyny, the language of racism, it gives licence to hatred. And mm -hmm. I think the you know the system itself, as as Blair was saying, you know, it, it's a Westminster system has has allowed that very divisive uh, normalisation to to perpetuate. Such that we're seeing, you know, women as you know, good or bad, or evil, or mm. or or um, too soft. Uh, it's yeah. you know, or too hard, too bitchy. Can't, or, you know, yeah. yeah. Megan, what's your that. what's your um, take on this as a as our resident uh, <laughs> former member of parliament yourself? Um, yeah. You Look, know. And I say this with, you know, we, as I said, we have a representative uh, uh, a parliament. We have a gentle politics in the ACT compared to nationally. I'm originally from New Zealand. And just to mm. reflect back on that, it's a gentler uh, political environment and uh, its electoral system, which changed in my first or second uh, election of voting, um, did bring uh, a more consensus-based approach to politics, became necessary through the electoral system and electoral reform. But yes, certainly, I think in politics, the law of the jungle still uh, is 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 chief. Um, in most other sectors of the community, uh, in th there are now uh, norms that have been either institutionalised or they're, they're more rules based. In in politics, the law of the jungle. Uh, it's still, um, and in, in Emma Husar's, um uh, case, for example, uh, everyone, you know, to the extent that you're supported to get into politics, you're then thrown into the jungle mm. and there's not a lot of structural support for you. It's very informal. It's very tribal. Um, and I think there needs to be, uh, you know, to find the right balance between, I think, people's concern about the professionalization of politics, i.e. people going into politics, um, the business of being in parliament actually does need to be professionalized. Some That's of those norms and workplaces um, that are in every other workplace that, that your um, foundation talks about a lot are not present in parliaments and in the political system that's represented through parliaments. And that really, I think, would help bring um, some um, civility to what is currently the law of the jungle. Actually, Julie Bishop touched on this very interestingly after she had left yeah. parliament. 
uh, and started to speak a bit more freely. And Julie, of course, is, is to be the new uh, ANU Chancellor. She gave a speech to a, a, a crowd of women where she said, look, enough is enough and talked about the behaviour of, of politicians in general uh, when it came to women politicians and was quite scathing when she said, look, I have seen behaviour and attitudes that would not be tolerated in any, any other workplace in this yeah. country. So why are we tolerating it in Parliament? Well, when we come back, we'll just take a quick break now. When we come back, I, I want to. Uh, we've got another question that I'd like to put to you from one of our listeners. Uh, but we'll take up that point about whether at least these standards are improving, even if they are coming off a very low base. So let's just take a quick break and be back in a moment. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Okay, welcome back. Now, Megan, before we went to the break, you were talking about um, the standards of behaviour in politics mm-hmm. and uh, you, know, you and Virginia were talking mm-hmm. about the kind of um, where, where, where they fit against normal broader community standards in workplaces. Is there some sort of improvement going on though? I mean, uh, we, we often talk about the problems, but there mm-hmm. has been progress in this regard as well. Perhaps it's a function of the Me Too movement and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and general uh, discourse now that is much more open about the treatment of women uh, in workplaces and in social settings and all kinds of other ways. So uh, are we seeing that come through in politics as well? We certainly see women's issues being discussed in politics more and in parliaments more, so that is a good thing. Um, and women being able to bring to bear their experiences into the, the policy making process and political decision making process. Uh, but, but certainly, um, you know, there are laced with uh, a lot of speeches in parliaments and that there would be hundreds of hours on any given sitting week of speeches in parliaments where you just, um, have that, that, that tinge of, um, of sexism coming through as well as other uh, views and and you know that those little comments that are dropped that just are insidious and 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 burrow away um, and we've seen a lot of particularly younger women in the parliament be treated poorly um, that that hasn't been my experience here in the ACT um, but I've also seen some women behaving badly in parliament as well. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I guess this mm-hmm. sort of goes to the nub of this issue. Let's let's imagine a cabinet that is majority women. Mm-hmm. Is it likely that you're going to have that kind of behaviour um, sort of abound or accepted in that circumstance? So I guess what I'm really saying is uh, the process of increasing women's representation is changing politics mm-hmm. uh, and that it, I can't imagine, for example, Jacinda Ardern uh, putting up with uh, boorish behaviour in her cabinet room or uh, in her um, in her sort of party room more broadly, assuming she's got command of it. Mm. You would like to think as the premier decision-making body of any government, that the cabinet is the most professional. Um, in my experience, that was the case. Um, and in meeting other ministers around the country, um, you know, minister, ministerial responsibility brings a level of professionalism, but still uh, not the same type of support that you would expect of any leadership group uh, in any other sector in in the community. Um, and uh, one of the things I'd like to explore more is that the level of training that's provided for, mm-hmm. for parliamentarians uh, across the board um, once they enter parliament. Uh, and I think for a lot, there is a, there is a tension in, uh, I guess, affirmative action where women have not had the experience to come up through what is a contestable process, uh, oftentimes are lobbed in um, and then not supported. Uh, and what they may be, and there's also a tension for women's experience and certainly in the Labor Party between being involved in forums that are about um, broad issues and being involved in forums that are specific for women. So just a practical example, when I joined the Labor Party, I could uh, belong to any number of policy committees or two or three women's networks. Now, just practically in any given week to get yourself to the two women's network meetings, and at that point I was interested in, in international relations and the International Relations Committee, uh, you know, I had to make a, a juggle between where I would put my um, effort uh, and and I tried to cut across both, um, but it did 
require more of my time and I really wanted to be engaged in the bigger policy debates that affected everyone and bring a women's perspective to those. And that was the choice I made. Uh, but you're, you're often pulled in multiple different directions as a woman as well. Um, but I think it's really important for women who make it in politics and that's why it's great to see the, uh, the forum that's going to be held here at ANU to support women coming into the political process that once you're in, you continue to need that support and it's not presently available in any structured way. Yes, well, this um, brings me to another question we have on Facebook from Vanessa Brown. She asked what can be done to improve female representation in Parliament. I guess that goes to the core of what we're talking about here. As women traditionally take on the carer role, she says, could the use of video conferencing instead of travelling to Canberra address this barrier to participation. But, that, you know, that's a, it's an important thing but or issue, but that's also relevant to men too because mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. There are more fathers in and parliament fathers. than yeah. there are mothers. And I think in Annabelle Crabb's um, quarterly essay recently, mm-hmm. the, the, the fundamental question that there, uh, oh, there yeah. was a lot of uh, focus on Jacinda Ardern uh, and uh, being a woman leader, having a baby, uh, what prime minister. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> doing that? Mm-hmm. But then we have a prime minister and, uh, you know, a treasurer who have young children and both live, uh, yeah. you know, a long way away from their, where their families are. And, and no one had asked them about their experience in that. And I think, that's a really powerful point, uh, and that essay is a really powerful point around workplaces being well, well, better. That's right. Didn't Bill yeah. English have like 10 kids or something? The, I think the, eight. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy did. that Jacinda yep. Ardern actually replaced, mm. yeah. and yet it became this big issue about yeah. her yeah. rather than the fact that he had mm. a you know basketball team the, for a family. Mm, mm. Sorry, talking to the Frydenberg and um, um, Morrison point, um, they were asked the question a few months ago, I think it was sarcastically mm-hmm. um, by a woman journalist, and they were like, what? Like they just didn't like get it they didn't really like understand you know like kind of relate to it like woman a woman would the, you know the question is rarely asked as you said or never asked um of men so when it is asked they're like can't compute you know i don't I, understand i think it's not that they don't compute as a woman in politics almost every interview and especially when i left politics i got asked more questions about mm. being a woman mm. and i think you become practiced at it you have to mm-hmm. you know you really you really think about it you think about it a lot and i think it's um, for men, they're not asked. And, and so the first time you're asked a new question, you do think, oh, I haven't been asked that. Mm. And, I, and I suspect if that conversation happens more, um, and, and there are a whole lot of cultural constraints on men, I think, um, talking to this. And I think that's why it was a powerful piece to, um, and we certainly had um, a number of um, men leave the parliament in the last term or not seek re-election uh, because of the strain that it was putting on their family. Uh, Interestingly, and, yeah. though, I think that generally the media didn't believe them when they yes. said they were leaving for family yes. reasons. That's because yeah. quote, unquote. says they yeah. leaving yeah. to spend more time but with their family. But for men, I mean, you know, we've watched Kelly O'Dwyer do it and we've mm. watched um, uh, from South Australia. Yeah. Um, and, and Kate, it, Ellis. Kate, Kate Ellis. Ellis. Yes. I beg your pardon. Uh, you know, talk about Tanya for the leadership. Mm-hmm. Talk about family reasons. Yes, that's true. Tanya Plibersek did cite that as an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, yeah she, did, she did too. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't her time. But uh, yes, it's interesting how not only do we not ask men about this, we don't, when they do actually say that they're making choices for family reasons, the first thing a journalist says is, so what's really happening? Yeah. That's but, because journalists are used to being lied to by politicians. <laughs> true. Think, or if the think public don't believe them. I think, yeah, I Politicians, to some extent, are somewhat dehumanised. Mm-hmm. Every interpretation of any decision that they will make is put, you know, mm-hmm. is down to politics. And mm-hmm. I think I'm trying to remember to blanks on names that the Labor member from um, Tim from uh, Hammond. Hammond from from WA, you know, I think when I think about, and my husband and I talked about this, and we've got three children, and they had three children a lot younger than ours, and it's simply impossible to understand how, as a family unit, you could manage that. Especially uh, coming but, from Perth. But, and coming from well, Perth. But if the family yeah. unit is centred mm-hmm. around the female being the primary carer mm-hmm. and the, the domestic manager, yeah. this is the problem. And, Mark, this is really what it comes back to. It, if we really want to improve the representation mm-hmm. of women in politics and in leadership in general, in public leadership in general in Australia, we've really got to start thinking hard and talking hard about what we do domestically mm-hmm. and, and try and shift the dial on the attitudes yep. around 
found family. And I mean, Australia is very, very sexist when it comes to the way we manage family responsibility in primary care. And it's not, it's not therefore surprising that we have the highest rate of women working part time in the OECD, mm-hmm. which we shouldn't have, but we do. Uh, we, we just have a, a very entrenched notion that, that family responsibility mm-hmm. is primarily women's. And that will keep us you know, on the back blocks of progress unless we change that. Even women working full-time, have, the studies have shown that they do more um, domestic um, unpaid labour around the house or child um, rearing than men who either work part-time or don't work, you know, their male partners, sorry. Mm. Um, so we need to change that. If men don't change the way they um, contribute to, to the domestic unpaid sphere, um, then how can women, you know, you know, join politics or or become uh, or even you know have a full time career in, mm. in itself. Mm. So perhaps this is the message that we need to be saying to press gallery journalists uh, when when they're out on the road with uh, whichever uh, male leader it is, mm. uh, particularly mm. at times of leadership change. Over mm. first question should be, how are you going to do this when you've got three children? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so how are your children coping with you away all the time? I think family isn't everything because there are a lot of um, women politicians and particularly leaders who don't have children because, I mean, women face this binary if, you know, there are the mothers and they're asked about, you know, who's looking after the children? Why aren't you at home with the children? Or if they don't have children, they're like, how are you a proper woman? But mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time um, women, you know, may, uh, are able to get into politics because they don't have children or they maybe, you know, can't have children with with their political schedule and all these sorts of things. If you look at a lot of leaders, they haven't had children or their children are grown adults yeah, because of that kind point. of bind. You remember, yeah. Virginia, well, that uh, famous fruit bowl? Uh, well, yes, oh, with Paul Julia Gillard, who, yes, had just come home that literally arrived home hours before mm-hmm. from a holiday mm-hmm. and her yeah. kitchen was all clean and tidy and being interviewed by a journalist and a photo was taken that showed her empty fruit bowl. And it became a metaphor for that empty womb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Senator Bill Heffernan oh, was Lord. very... Uh, strident in, in referring to her being deliberately barren. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said not once but twice. Mm-hmm. And that became a theme, that she was a childless woman, therefore she was odd. Mm-hmm. She was There was something strange about her. She wasn't womanly. Uh, and that plagued her throughout her mm-hmm. political career, I've got to say. Can I also just make another point, though? I want to circle back to something that um, Megan was touching on, Mark. Um, and again, it's the journalist in me that's going to make this observation. But 30 years ago, when I first entered uh, the – well, it was actually the Victorian mm-hmm. Press Gallery as a journalist, it was a very, very blokey environment, extremely blokey. Mm-hmm. And I was one of only one or two uh, mm-hmm. television journalists there. When we had our first female pri- uh, premier, uh, Joan Kerner, came in, she changed the language immediately that was used in the, the weekly press conferences and started getting really tough about not um, answering questions that were full of of what she considered to be very masculinized, weaponized words. Um, and I hear Megan, and I've watched Megan's career in the ACT in, in, in politics, and see how different she is as a, a female politician. I think 30 years ago, someone such as Megan wouldn't have got in to Parliament simply mm-hmm. because we were so blokey. Mm-hmm. We were so uh, aggressive mm-hmm. that it does give me heart that there is, that the, the, the culture is changing a little, a little. Because coming back to what you were asking about, Mark, what difference do women make? Whilst we have to be careful about essentializing women, it also is true that the more we diversify the intake of politicians mm-hmm. and we get people who can be softer talkers, quieter talkers, uh, a little bit different in mm-hmm. their presentation, etc., it starts expanding mm-hmm. the the broad range of characteristics that you can bring to leadership. Yeah, perhaps and, a little less ego yeah. in the in, you know some, mm-hmm. but not quite the, the overflow that we get from some male leaders. Yeah. This that there is a sort of a strain sort of in politics too that you might be too nice to be in politics. <laughs> and, uh, and that's something that, you know, some people, you know, talk about and there are, you know, oh, you, you, you know, it's a cut and thrust, you, you know, you, you might be too nice or you might did not you be. Did you get that? I did. Um, and I would certainly say if that was the case, I'm not as nice as I used to be then. <laughs> well, we had, we had, we had, that that you are, no. we had yeah. Annette King, yeah. who of course yes. you would know, uh, yeah. here on the campus last yeah. week talking with Ros Kelly. Now, Ros Kelly was a, a former yeah, Labor member, yeah, a federal member from, from yeah. Canberra from here. Mm. Uh, she was the first woman 
minister in yep. the um, um, from the House yes, of Representatives, yeah, yeah. I believe. She was also yeah. the first member of the House of Representatives yeah. to have a child while she mm-hmm. was a member. Yeah. Uh, and she was talking to Annette King, of mm-hmm. course, who was a giant of New Zealand yeah. politics. And Annette King actually made that point mm-hmm. that um, one of the reasons that she was able, she was so well liked, was that mm-hmm. she was. You know, she was obviously very capable, very yeah. trusted, but she never sought the leadership and made it quite clear. Yes, and I think too, it's if you if you think about politics, sometimes like you think about your own workplace. You know, it's a really interesting. Does everyone go into politics to become leader? Does everyone join, you know, the ANU to become the vice chancellor? No, uh, and I think there's a there's a there's a narrative and an orthodoxy about how politics mm. is understood that it just doesn't treat it like you know, human beings being part of an endeavour that is definitely, um, you know, the contested and difficult and, and brings, you mm. know, feelings and uh, as well as <clears throat> sort of ideology into the mix. But, um, you know, some people, of course, you know, you can't always be leader, but, you know, not everyone necessarily wants to be a minister. Um, and you'll certainly know in the, in the federal parliament, the odds of being a minister are far less likely than the odds of it here in the ACT, for example. But, but equally, that doesn't mean not everyone should aspire to progress. But in any organisation, not everyone can be and not everyone's looking for that role. Um, and you can, if you're if you go into politics to make a difference and, in your view, make the world a better place, you will find once you're in there, there's lots and lots and lots of ways to do that. Uh, and the more you talk to a wider group of people, you will find those paths to make a difference. For some people, it will be leadership and for others, it won't be. And the situation is, mm. as I think you were getting at before, Virginia, is is improving. I mean, uh, mm. th- there is progress being made. And we need to acknowledge that as well. We do. And I certainly acknowledge a lot of, you know, everything that, that, um, Megan has so wisely said about the great things for women in politics. But again, I'm coming back to the, what we have experienced here in Australia with both Julia Gillard and Julie Bishop, who the moment they did aspire to leadership, mm-hmm. they became wicked witches. And, uh, Julia Gillard had been a great number two, a great deputy. But then when we woke up one morning and suddenly she, had in fact knifed or was, was seen to have knifed the <laughs> prime minister and taken on that role herself. Attitudes a, a, around her changed enormously because suddenly she was wanting the crown mm. and that wasn't acceptable. And with Julie Bishop, how interesting it was that during the leadership uh, battle mm. of her party, she was the most experienced person in the room. And the most and popular. The most popular. Yeah. And the most publicly the most popular. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. She had, uh, <laughs> had been foreign minister for, was it nine years, Mark? She had more <laughs> ministerial experience than anyone in that room. So if we talk about merit, she had it all over Mm -hmm. the men. And yet she got all of 10, well, including her own, 11 votes out of 85 in that caucus room. I mean, that that is just, I think, a perfect example of people seeing, look, it's it's fine, or or that attitude that it's fine, be a great deputy, be a great support. And she was the support to the prime minister or the leader of the party for years. But the moment she wanted to step up, it was a cut down. Yes, it, it was a it was a fairly um, telling moment. I think I agree. I certainly wrote about that early in that week of the leadership change. That she was the if you if you did the numbers and you know the the, the numbers in terms of public support, uh, the case was there for Julie Bishop, but her colleagues weren't talking. So when about we have her. these examples time and time again, it's it's it, it's really hard for women to see and young women looking from the outside to think, could I crack through? Would I crack through? Because those few who have, it's been so damn hard. And what and, I I yeah. look back at Megan here and yeah. I don't want to diss, you know, the no. wonderful things that you're saying. Yes, but Blake, make that point. It's sorry, not. it's not just about, you know, can I or am I allowed to do that or, you know, can I get in there? But it's what I want to, what I want to deal with that, what I yeah, want to see sexism every day, mm. what I want rape threats on my yeah. Twitter, you know, every yeah. minute. Do I want to have that life? Do I want to be, you know, uh, subject to all that scrutiny, not just from potentially within my own party, from the opposition, but also the media and the public? Yeah, all those ad hominem attacks about you as a person rather mm. than whatever the policy is. Whatever you've done in the past, yeah. you know, um, that, that's yeah. a really... I think that's a really powerful point because, you know, why would you want to get into politics today? I mean, that's why I ask myself. Yeah. I mean, well, you like, can't be what you can't see is... Uh, exactly. Well, and, exactly. And, I, and, I, and I guess amidst, amidst this, and I, my, my willful optimism would say that, you know, there are... There are good things about being a woman in politics and some of those can be also explored um, and then women need to be supported by men and women as they make their journey through politics as well. But but again, if, if women aren't in there um, and they aren't bringing a whole lot of uh, their experiences and, and their commitment to politics in general, and I think... 
I, I would say too, I think for some women getting involved in politics, it can be um, difficult when you only focus on the path of being a woman in politics. You want to, if you want to contribute to education mm. policy, health mm. policy, if you want to economic policy in particular, you know, those traditional, you know, mm. transport, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased. Defence, yeah. you know, there are there Treasury. are women who have been, you know, Gay Brotman, our local member here, was active in the defence mm. um, and, and mm. had a role on the shadow. I mean, you know, we have a, a, a we have had a, a female defence minister. We've, mm. uh, you know, we, I think yet to uh, see a federal treasurer. No, we haven't. Had a we don't, haven't had. So a treasurer, you know, no. there are there. It 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 is. I think cautionary for women getting involved in politics, not just to get involved in women in politics. You would, want to influence the broad range of yeah. policy issues. I was glad to hear mm. Dr. Martin Parkinson, the outgoing uh, head of the Department yeah. of uh, Prime Minister and Cabinet, was interviewed by uh, Geraldine Doog on Saturday morning. And he was making the point, he's been, of course, a, a, a member of Male Champions for yeah, Change right, and yeah. been a strong advocate for um, for uh, gender equity in, in the, at the very top of the public service. And he was making the point that I, I think he said of the 18 uh, Permanent secretaries or departmental secretaries, uh, nine of them are now uh, held by women. So that is uh, that is good to see, and I think it's good to uh, at least. And that, uh, yeah. it's a good point actually, and that has mm-hmm. happened under his watch. Yeah. I've got to say, and um, I also got to add that he is one of those few leaders who saw this problem years ago and has been working away at it. And he started by making a change in his own department, yeah. which was. Pretty tough when he was at Treasury. Very, yeah. very tough. But uh, it, it takes leadership, particularly male leadership, to yeah. take on these issues to really, oh, I think, you know, help change the numbers. Yes. The public well, look, we're going is a to bit have, of a standout, I have to say. <laughs> we're going to have to uh, wrap it up there because we could, as often is the case, keep talking about this uh, for a long time. There are so many interesting aspects to it. Uh, I want to thank you for coming along. Uh, thank the listeners, obviously, for staying with us for this journey. Um, Virginia Hausegger, Megan Fitzharris and Blair Williams. It's been terrific having you here. Um, my uh, colleague in this podcast, Maria Taflaga, and her colleague, also my colleague, uh, Katrine Beauregard, have done some interesting work on this uh, issue of women's representation. They've just done a, um, a paper on this, so look out for that um, at, uh, at some point. Uh, and um, as I say, we've got this uh, event happening next week, the Women for Election Equip at the Crawford Policy School. Um that's on the 26th of November, and you can uh, go there to register at bit.ly forward slash equip ANU. Uh, so with that, thanks for joining us on Democracy Sausage, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.